I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Reed, and I'm the lead pastor here. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with uh, family, friends, all that good stuff. Uh, And I'm glad that you've chosen uh, to join us uh, as we are closing out this week um, our our series that we've been in for the past three weeks called Prodigals, uh, where uh, in this series, what we've been doing is uh, we've been looking at one of Jesus's most uh, famous, most iconic uh, parables or stories uh, that he ever told. And so we've been looking at this for the past three weeks. Uh, really uh, the reason why we decided to take that long to look at just this one story is because uh, of what Jesus teaches us here about God's heart and uh, what ought to be the heart uh, of the Christian faith. And I recognize that it's not always the heart of the Christian faith, but it ought to be the heart of the Christian faith. And so uh, for the past, yeah, like I said, three weeks, we've been looking at this story. And uh, if you're just joining us, uh, then let me just catch you up to speed. Uh, Week one, uh, we, we opened up uh, the, the teachings with uh, looking at the scene, setting the scene uh, that Jesus told this, um, this famous parable uh, in. We set the scene and we kind of said, hey, here's what was happening. Here's who was there uh, when Jesus was telling uh, this story. And so we said uh, that Jesus was sitting down at a meal and he was having a meal with tax collectors and sinners, which was a huge no-no in that time, right? You did not want to be caught uh, hanging out with people that God didn't want anything to do with, or so that was the belief uh, at that time. And so, but Jesus is sitting there and he's having a meal with these tax collectors and sinners. And and then uh, there's another group that was present uh, during this scene. And and you had, uh, these were the religious people, the kind of the the good people, quote unquote. Uh, These were the Pharisees and the, the religious scribes and they were there and they're not participating in the meal. They're just kind of looking on and, uh, and they're confused and they're angry and they're muttering about Jesus. How could he do this? How could he hang out with these people? Uh, how, could, how could someone who claims to represent God be spending time with the kind of people that God would want nothing to do with? And it's in that setting that Jesus recognizes he's got a great teaching opportunity. He's got these two very different groups of people, but these two very different groups, they kind of have one uh, shared idea. The one thing they have in common is they both had a similar idea uh, of of what God was like and who they thought God liked. And and in that setting, Jesus realizes he's got a teaching opportunity. And so he decides he's going to take that opportunity to teach a little bit uh, about what God is really like and who God actually likes. And so in typical Jesus fashion, we said he, he decides he's going to tell some stories. That was one of his favorite teaching techniques because stories have the power to shift perspective, maybe unlike any other teaching tool. And so here's Jesus and he tells some stories culminating on uh, the story, the parable, this parable of the prodigal son. And so that was week one. And then Last week, uh, we jumped into uh, the parable and, uh, and we looked at it and we really spent all of last week kind of focusing on uh, two characters in the story. There's, there's a father and he has two sons. And so we kind of looked at the two sons last week. There's a, a younger rebellious son uh, who comes to his dad and uh, takes, takes his dad's stuff, uh, takes the money and runs and uh, demands the inheritance. He goes away, he spends it all on wild living. And that's the one that a lot of us are familiar with, that younger son and that younger rebellious lost son. And and we said that that's the one that we typically uh, tend to focus on, but we said that there's actually more than one way 
to be lost. And so we looked at uh, this older brother uh, who also was lost to his father because we said, hey, lost is not about location. It's actually about relationship. And so this older brother, even though he had stayed close to home and done all the right things, he'd done all the right things with the wrong motives and the wrong heart. And so uh, here he is and he's close to home, but his heart is far from his father and his relationship is just as broken and busted because he stayed home and worked thinking he could earn his inheritance while the younger brother simply took his inheritance. And both of them ended up uh, just trying to do things on their terms and their way. And they end up with a broken and disconnected relationship with their father. And so we said, you can be lost. You can be lost in rebellion and you can be lost in self-righteousness. You can be lost in your rightness and you can be lost in your wrongness, right? There, there are more than one way to be lost and to be disconnected from our father. And so we asked ourselves the question last week, hey, who, who do you uh, connect with the most? Who do you see yourself in the most? Uh, is, it the, is it the younger brother? Or is it the older brother? For, for some of you, it was like, hey, you know, it, it, for me, it's, I see a little bit of both in me. And I've been a little bit of both in different seasons and different times in my life. And hopefully you were able to be honest enough with yourself that you were able to see, maybe, maybe some of you last week were able to see some areas in your own life where you need repentance, where you need to turn from your way and turn towards your heavenly father to receive healing and forgiveness and growth and transformation. And so hopefully that, that was happening for some of you this past week uh, as we examined uh, the two brothers. And now this week, uh, that gets us up to speed, right? And this week, uh, as we close out the series, what we're gonna be doing is we're gonna, we're gonna focus in on this last teaching uh, on the main character of the story, which for, uh, for some of you, uh, or for a lot of us, right? Like that's, that's surprising to think uh, that we haven't talked about the main character because a lot of us tend to think that the younger uh, son is the main character because uh, the, the story is often called the, the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. And so we tend to think that he's the main character, but he's actually not. The main character in this story is the father. The father is the main character of this story. And we said last week that Jesus would often insert into his parables a character uh, who was meant to represent God to us, right? A fictional character that would teach us about our actual heavenly father. And the father in this story is that character or the God character meant to teach us uh, what God is really like and who God actually likes. And so that's, that's the main character and his reaction and his actions towards his sons, they are the point of Jesus's parable, right? Like, so this father is the main character meant to show us exactly what God is like and to clear up any misunderstandings or misconceptions uh, that we might have about what God is like. And so we're gonna be looking at him today. And so we'll pick up in the story uh, where we left off last week. And uh, last week we had kind of, you know, we had gotten through the, the son had, uh, the younger son had asked for his dad's inheritance before his dad was dead, which we covered. That was, that's very offensive. That's, you know, that's hurtful. That's unforgivable in that community. You're like, what? Uh, and then uh, to everybody's surprise, uh, the dad in Jesus's story, he actually, he actually gives him the inheritance, which was a teaching in 
in and of itself that, that God actually, he wants relationship with us and not begrudging submission. And so he loves us enough that he'll actually let us leave, right? Because he wants sons and daughters, not slaves and servants. And so the dad lets the, the son leave. And, and so he goes away. And, and, and in the story, Jesus says, you know, he spends it all, all the money on wild living. And then there's a famine in the land that he never saw coming. And then he's down and out and he ends up with a job that would be one of the worst jobs that a young Jewish boy could have, which is feeding pigs. Pigs were ceremonially unclean, religiously unclean. And so that would have made this boy religiously unclean. And so now he's literally at rock bottom. And, uh, and Jesus is teaching, us here that sin, you guys, our sin will always take us further than we wanted to go and cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. And so here, Jesus gets us there to that, to that point. And he says that the son, uh, while sitting in the pig pen, comes to his senses. He has an aha moment, a light bulb moment where he realizes, man, things were not so bad with dad. Doing things my way uh, isn't really working out. And so he has this moment of recognition, this moment of turning, this moment of repentance where he decides, hey, I'm gonna go back to my father and I'm gonna beg for forgiveness. And he has no expectation. You can see it in the story when you go back and read it if you wanted to go read it, but he has no expectation that he's gonna be received as a son. And so instead though, he thinks if I could just um, show my dad that I'm sorry, that I'm really, really sorry. And if I could present to him a plan for how I'm going to uh, work back to pay him back, uh, then, then maybe just maybe he'll take me in as, as a servant or as one of his hired hands. And so uh, he begins to make his way back, practicing his apology speech and coming up with his plan for how he's going to pay his dad back. And that's where we left off last week. And now we're gonna pick up in the story. And this is what Jesus says happens next while the, the, the younger son is on his way home. It says, but while he was still a, a long way off, the father saw him. No, I'm going to stop and pause for a second. It says that while Jesus said that while he was a long way off, while this younger son was still a long way from where he was supposed to be, still a long way from where he needed to be, still a long way from where he ought to be, still a long way from who he ought to be, right? Like while he's still a long way off, he says that the father sees him. Now I love this because if the father sees him when he's still a long way off, what does that tell us about the father? It tells us that he was looking for him, doesn't it? If he sees him while he's still a long way off, then that means that father was looking for him. It insinuates this idea, right? That this dad would get up and he would look for his son maybe, maybe once a day, maybe twice a day, maybe multiple times. He would go to the same spot, look down the road in the direction of where his son had left. And he's looking that way and he's looking for his son. And I don't know uh, how often he would do that, right? What is Jesus uh, trying to tell us, right? He, he's, he's just showing us, hey, this dad was looking for his son, looking and hoping and waiting for the day that that silhouette would come come across the horizon. He's looking for his boy. And anybody in here who's got a prodigal, maybe you got a prodigal kid, maybe you got a prodigal sibling, maybe you got a prodigal friend, you know what that's like. You're looking and you're hoping and you're praying for the day you'll see their silhouette returning home. Jesus says that, that's what this father was doing. 
What's he's telling us about God right here, you guys? You know what he's telling us about God? He's saying that God never quits looking for you. He never quits looking for you. He never gives up on you. He never writes you off, right? He always leaves a light on. He leaves the door cracked and the welcome mat out. That's the way your father is. And he'll see you even if you're a long way off from where you were supposed to be. Even when you're a long way off from who you were supposed to be, your father sees you because he's looking for you. He never quits looking for you. Now Jesus is gonna go on. He says, while he's still a long way off, the father saw him and he says, and he was filled with, what? What was he filled with? And you could see it if you got your Bible. Um, it's cheating or maybe that's extra credit. I don't know. But um, <laughs> what is he filled with? What, what would a father be filled with? What do you think God feels towards people like that younger son? What do you think he feels towards them? Towards people, let me, let, let's put it into context. Uh, what do you think God feels towards people who try to take advantage of him? What do you think God feels towards people who just want his stuff, but don't want relationship with him? They want his blessing when they need it, but, but they don't wanna actually like walk in relationship. But what do you think God thinks and feels towards people who turn their back on him, towards people who, who think that they know better and decide to go their own way? What do you think that God feels towards those people? Anger? Judgment? Wrath. That's what I was taught y'all growing up, that that was God's disposition towards people that would turn their back on him and go their own way. It's anger, it's judgment, it's wrath, it's justice. What do you think God feels towards those people? Make it personal for a minute. What do you think God feels towards you? When he sees you on the horizon, when God looks at you and sees you, what do you think God feels towards you? What word would you put in that blank for yourself? I have the, the privilege uh, of being pastor here and that means that I get to walk with uh, people in all stages of life and faith and, and, and I get to help people uh, try to figure out and navigate their faith and try to figure out uh, what it looks like to, to follow Jesus. And, and, and so I meet with people and, and I'll sit down with people in my office or we'll go get coffee or, or we'll grab a meal. And, and a lot of times as we're talking, uh, I'll ask people, I'll say, well, what do you think God is like? That's an important question. What do you think when you think about God? What do you think he's like? And then I'll also ask this question. Hey, what do you think God thinks about you? What do you think his disposition is towards you? How do you think? When he looks at you, what do you think he feels? And a lot of times, you guys, sadly, the words that people use to describe what they think God thinks about them, I hear words like disappointed, angry, ashamed, I've heard words like disgusted, embarrassed, even ambivalent, which is just like, I don't know, it depends on the week. Some weeks, last week, crushed it. Like prayed like five times, you know what I mean? Like what? Gold stars in heaven. But now two weeks ago, whoo, right? Like, and so some people are like, I don't know, it depends on the week, right? How would you, Describe what you think God thinks about you. What word would you use? 
I'll be honest. Uh, I'll be transparent with you guys. Um, for me, for, for half of my life, y'all, for half of my life, I spent thinking that the word that God would use to describe how he feels about me was disappointed. Not angry, but disappointed, which is worse anyway. You remember when your parents would sit you down and they'd give you, you know what I mean? Like they're like scolding you. My dad never, my dad didn't do this. My dad just was angry. Uh, but then like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no disappointment. It was just, but, um, but my mom, sometimes my mom would sit down and she would be like, you know what? I'm just, I'm not even angry at you. I'm disappointed. And you were like, I'd rather you be mad, right? Like that hurts worse, right? I can remember like half of my life, y'all, this is what I thought God thought about me. That when he looked at my life, the things that I did, the way that I'd acted, the way that I'd treated people, my church attendance. I just imagine that's what he probably would have described me. That when he looked at me, when he saw me in the distance, that his heart was filled with disappointment. And because of that, y'all, I spent half of my life just avoiding God. Because who wants to hang out with somebody that's constantly disappointed in you? Now, I'm a I'm a Christian now and a pastor, and I just gotta be really real with you. Even as a Christian and as a pastor, there are still days where I wrestle with that. There are still days where I wrestle and I struggle uh, in believing that what God thinks about me is, is love or anything like that. I, I still kind of sometimes think, oh, is he disappointed in me? Sometimes, <laughs> depending on my week, Sometimes I imagine God with his arms crossed going, really? We're still there? Really? That's, that's still how you're gonna act? Really? I can't believe you're still struggling with that. You should know better. You should be doing more. You should have grown past that. And so sometimes I still feel man, what does God think about me? Sometimes the word that I use there on my low days is probably still disappointed. I don't know what you think about. I don't know how you would fill in that blank for yourself, but I know that whatever you put in that blank is a big deal because what you think God feels when he looks at you determines how you relate to him, how you connect with him. It determines the depth and the quality of your relationship with him. It determines where you run when you mess up, whether you run to him or run from him. It determines where you run when things in life don't go your way, when, when things don't turn out the way that you thought that they would or the way that you thought that they should or when things blow up in your face. Do you run to God or from God? What you th- what, how you fill in that blank determines that. Jesus is gonna tell us, what this father who represents our father was filled with when he looked at this son who was way off from where he needed to be. He says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and he was filled with compassion. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Compassion. Jesus says, that is what your father thinks when he looks at you. That is what he is filled with. That is what he feels when he looks at you. When he sees you, no matter how far off you may seem, no matter how far away you may feel, no matter how, like what you feel about God, this is what he feels about you. He feels compassion. 
And that word there, y'all, is this Greek word, and I'm not even gonna try it. It's like this weird, like, if you wanna know, just DM me later, you know what I mean? Like, but um, yeah, I'm not a Greek scholar, right? So uh, I went to the University of Georgia, we just bark. And so, um, <laughs> and, and so, and so there, there's this Greek word though, like and the Greek word that Jesus uses right there means, right? That it means this, this feeling of deep love and concern from somebody so much so, you feel so deeply that you feel it physically, like in your guts, right? Like that's, he's like, you feel it so strongly, this love and compassion, this love and concern for someone that you feel, you feel it actually physically, like, it, like you feel it in your guts. That's what the word means. He goes, that's what your father thinks about you. He says, that's what this father, when he looked out and saw his boy, he said he had compassion, this deep love and concern. He was moved so much that he felt it in his guts. That's what your father thinks about when he, when he thinks about you. That's what he thinks when he sees you. That's what he's filled with when he looks at you. It's not disappointment or disgust or shame or embarrassment or, or any of that. He doesn't have his arms crossed or his finger pointed. He's got his hand out. He's looking at you. He's going, oh, it's compassion. That's what he feels about you. And Jesus says that he's got this compassion. He's filled with compassion and this compassion compels him. He says that like so much compassion that he decides he's gonna run, run to his son. And now this would have been a big deal when Jesus is telling the story, right? That this dad would run because everybody knew at that time, right? That in the Middle East, like that men, especially men over the age of 40, they did not run, right? And, and, and they, you just didn't run. It was, it was considered shameful, right? First, first and foremost, the reason why it was considered shameful is because of how it would look, right? Like, like they would wear these robes and, and you guys know that if they're gonna run, they can't run with the robe like the way it is because then you're just like, you know what I mean? Like you can't get like a, a good stride. And so in order to run, they would have to hike up their robe and show their thigh, which I recognize does not bother a lot of you because I've seen the shorts that you wear, man. And so uh, I know I'm so glad it's false. And so now you have to wear some pants. And so like, but, uh, but, but, but for them, right? Like, I mean, like they would have to lift up their their robe and they would have to show their legs, which was like, oh my gosh, what are you doing, right? And so it was shameful. It was embarrassing. Not only that, but also it was considered to run to someone, right? That, that was considered beneath them, right? If you were, if you were a father in a, in a Jewish community back then, if you, were a, if you were an elder, if you were somebody over the age of 40, right, in the community, like, like you were in a position of, 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 of power, of respect, of entitlement. And so you weren't gonna be running to somebody, right? Like the idea of them running, you're like, no, 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 I don't, I don't run to you, you run to me, right? That's, that's the way it was seen. It was seen as beneath them. And so this idea of, uh, of this dad running, people are like, what? It's shameful, it's embarrassing. And yet here's what this dad does. He runs to his boy, which begs the question, like, wow, why does Jesus have this dad run? Like knowing that that's a shameful act, why is he, why is he making the God character run? What's with that? And now when I would read this, for, for a long time, I thought it was just maybe just, just the emotion of the moment that Jesus is trying to convey, that the dad is just like so full of compassion, so excited uh, that he just kind of forgets himself for a moment and runs. And so, you know, it's just like the emotion of the moment that makes him, makes him do that. But I've learned something recently um, that, that actually like it gives greater depth and context as to what's going on here. 
Uh, I read recently um, some, some work by this guy named Doc, Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Dr. Kenneth Bailey, uh, he wrote a book called The Cross and the Prodigal. And in his book, he talks about um, how in the first century, uh, in, in a first century Jewish context, there's actually more going on here in this setting than, than we understand in our modern Western context. And so uh, he said that actually what's going on, something that the audience would have known about is this thing, there's this other thing at play here uh, that, that gives us reason as to why the father run. And it's this, it's this uh, practice called uh, kizatsa, kizatsa. I got that one, okay? Not splagnitzamai, you know, like, but uh, kizatsa. And he said, this was a practice um, in, in first century Jewish communities. And, and the way that this worked is if a, if, if, if a young Jewish boy, um, if he either, took his, he either took his inheritance and took it out and spent it uh, in, uh, in foreign or Gentile towns, and if he lost that inheritance to foreigners or to Gentiles, this is a huge no-no. They're, he's basically taking the community and the family's wealth and now he's wasting it and giving it away uh, outside of the community and outside of the family. And people are like, whoa, that's our hard earned stuff. At least if you're gonna lose it to somebody, lose it to somebody in the family. Don't take it outside of our Jewish community. And so that was a big deal. And, and so if, if, if someone did that, that was viewed as unforgivable. And, and so if they, they had this practice called kizatsa, which would be if, if that person tried to return back to the community, if they tried to return back and they tried to come back and be a part of the community once again, they would, at the edge of town, there would usually be elders that were posted. They would take turns uh, sitting on the edge of town and they would kind of check and see uh, who's entering in and out of the villages and in and out of the community. And they would kind of keep watch over it. And so if, if somebody who had gone and done this, spent all of their money and, uh, and, and wasted it away to foreigners or Gentiles, or if they married someone that was like outside of the family of faith, right? Like if that happened and they tried to come back, uh, they would have to face the elders and they would have to go through this kitsatsa. And this, the way that this would, would go is that they would have to go in front of the community and the elders and, and they would have to present their you know, apology. And not only that, would they have to present their apology, but they would also, they would have to, uh, they would have to go through some ritual like cleansing and, and then they would have to present their plan for how they were gonna try to pay the community back. And the elders would hear them out. And, and as they were hearing them out, they would decide, you know, they would decide the fate of the person uh, who's on trial. And if they deemed their, their apology or their plan to be unfit, hey, that's not gonna work. Like you went way too far. You don't seem sorry enough. Uh, your plan, uh, there's no way you're gonna ever be able to pay us back. Like what you wasted, it was too far. Uh, where you went, you're too far gone. Like there, there's no way you're gonna work their, your way back. They would declare kidzatsa and they would, they would break a pot. And it's the first time some of you have looked up today. And so, <laughs> welcome to church. But they would, they would break a pot at the feet of this young man and they would declare kizatsa as if to say, hey, you are cut off from us. That's what the word means, the cutting off. They would say, you are cut off from us. Our relationship, what they're communicating with that broken pot is, our relationship is broken beyond repair the same way this pot is broken beyond repair. 
You can't put it back together and you can't put this back together. And so you are exiled. At best, they would be exiled and they would be rejected. At worst, there were instances that have been recorded that, that they would have been taken outside the town and stoned to death, permanently cut off. Dr. Bailey says that the people listening to Jesus that day, they would have understood this practice and known about this practice. And so when Jesus is sharing this, these people, they knew that as this son is making his way back, not only is he gonna have to face his dad, he's gonna have to face Kizatza. He's gonna have to face Kizatza. And in all likelihood, this kid is gonna get cut off and rejected and booted out. And that's why he's going over his apology again and again. And he's trying to come up with just the right plan, hoping beyond hope that maybe just maybe he might get accepted back, but knowing he's probably gonna have a broken pot at his feet and a stiff arm from his community. And y'all, when I learned that, I realized there's more to this story than that maybe I saw. You see, because that father that father's not just running to welcome his son. He's running to save him. He's running to save him. He knows, he knows that his boy is gonna face that. And he knows that if his boy's got any hope, he's gotta beat his son to the gate. And so he runs and he hikes up his robe and it skies out, thighs out and he's booking it through the street and he's running and people are staring and they're pointing and they're looking and the kids are scoffing and they're like, look at this guy, what is he doing? And he doesn't care. He's, he's, he's forgetting the shame, right? He's taking on the shame so that his son doesn't have to. He's trying to outrun his judgment because he knows if the elders get there first, if the boy gets to the gate first, he's done for and he'll lose his son forever. And so this dad runs, not just to welcome his child, but to save him, knowing that he deserves Kazatza. He can't stand the idea of losing him forever. So he runs. He runs to his boy. He endures the shame so that his son doesn't have to. And he outruns his judgment. Because if he can get there first, then he can restore him before the community can reject him. If he could get there first, he could restore him before the community could reject him. This is what Dr. Bailey says. He says, it is his being the father. It is his compassion that leads the father to race to his son. He knows what his son will face in the village. He takes upon himself the shame and humiliation to the prodigal. He took the shame so the son didn't have to. He ran to the gate so he could keep his boy. He ran to save him. Now, story goes on. The father gets there. He gets to his boy. And there's this, there's this reunion the son goes into his speech and he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He knows. He's like, I, I know how this works. I'm probably not gonna get accepted in. He's going into his apology. But the father said to his servants, quick. He's not even listening. He's like, quick, bring the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. He says, bring the fattened calf. 
and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate for this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. And so they began to celebrate. His daddy makes it to his boy. The son goes into his speech and the dad's not even hearing it. And Jesus is teaching us something here, you guys. Repentance. Repentance is not you, right, trying to apologize enough or work hard enough to get back into God's graces. That's not what repentance is about. Repentance is simply you turning, recognizing you could never do anything to get back to God, but instead you get to just receive his love and his grace for you. That's repentance. That's it. That's all it is. And so so he runs out. He tries to make his apology speech. Dad's not hearing it. He says, quick, hurry up, bring the robe, throw it on him. And I think some of the haste is, let's get him restored before the community can reject, right? So he says, get my robe. The best robe is what he says. That would have been his robe. He goes, put it over him, right? He's filthy, he looks gross, but put the robe on him. He says, quick, get the robe, put it on him, put the ring on him, my ring, the signet ring, which restores him as a son in the house. And he says, get sandals, because, because back in that day, you guys, slaves and servants, they weren't given shoes. Most of the time they would not have shoes. The only people that would wear sandals and have shoes were members of the house. And so he goes, get the, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. Let's restore him back. He is my son once again. And the father welcomes him home and restores him to whole. And then he says, and then they celebrate. And the two of them walk into town as father and son. And then the people, the community that would have certainly rejected them are now invited to celebrate him instead. It's so powerful. And the the people listening to Jesus that day, they would have had to pick their jaws up off the floor, right? They would have had to pick their, because they're thinking as Jesus tells this, what kind of father does that? What kind, of, what kind of dad does that? What kind of dad runs and sprints and forgives like that, right? What kind of dad does that? And that, you guys, that is Jesus's point. That's what he's trying to communicate. This crowd is going, what kind of father does that? And Jesus is looking at them saying, your heavenly father, that's who does that. They go, what kind of dad is that? They're like, your dad, your father in heaven. That's what he's like. I love how Timothy Keller says it. Uh, Timothy Keller uh, was a pastor in Manhattan, uh, an author, a theologian, brilliant. He passed away recently, but he wrote a book called Prodigal God. And he says in this book, he's talking about this parable. And in the book, he says, hey, oftentimes we think of this parable prodigal story, we call it the prodigal son, but he says, but in fact, he says prodigal, uh, it it could actually be called the story of the prodigal dad because prodigal does not mean lost. You guys can look this up later. Prodigal doesn't mean lost. Prodigal means excessive. It means almost recklessly lavish. It means wasteful. He says, hey, Keller writes in his book, he says, if anybody was prodigal in that story, it's the dad. He goes, he's excessive. He is recklessly lavish and wasteful with his love, with his grace, with his kindness, with his compassion, with his forgiveness. He says, so you could really rename this story the parable of the prodigal dad or as Keller says, the parable of the prodigal God. 
And Jesus says, that, you guys, is what your heavenly father is like. What is God like? What is his heart towards us? Jesus says, oh, your father, he sees you when you're a long way off of where you're supposed to be. And when you've missed the mark by a million miles, he sees you. And his heart is not full of anger or judgment or condemnation or disappointment. His heart is full of compassion for you. And when he sees that you've turned to him, he runs to you. He runs to you. You don't have to work your way to him. He runs to you. And he will outrun your shame and he will outrun your judgment. He will take the shame upon himself in order to get to you. And when he gets to you, this is what your dad is like. He will cover you in his righteousness and he'll put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and he will welcome you as a son and a daughter, not a servant or a slave. That is the heart of your heavenly father towards you. Jesus says, that's what God is like. You wanna know what God is like? He's just like that dad, that fictional dad right there that I just told you about. That's what your heavenly father is actually like. And what I love so much, you guys, is that Jesus didn't just say that, he showed it. He didn't just say that in a story, but he would show it with his very life in that when he saw you and I, when we were a long way off, he actually, he felt compassion towards us and he came to us, leaving heaven, coming to earth, putting on flesh and blood. And then he would run to us uh, by taking the cross, bearing our sin and our shame on his behalf so that we wouldn't have to carry it or pay for it ourselves, saving us from our own kizatza, which we deserve because of our sin. And he took it upon himself. And then by his, by his resurrection, he welcomes us into new life. By grace, through faith, he welcomes us into the family. He gives us his righteousness, his ring, his sandals. And he says, welcome to the family so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. That, that is what God is like. And that is what Jesus has said. And that is what Jesus has shown. So today, as we close the series, here's what I recognize is that there are some of you in here and you have never put your trust in God. Maybe you thought because of things that you've done, maybe it's because of the distance that you feel from God. Uh, you felt like his arms were crossed towards you, that he was looking down on you, disappointed, disgusted, uh, embarrassed, ashamed, angry. Maybe, maybe that's what you thought that God felt towards you. And so uh, you've never taken that step. Maybe you've been stuck in your own pride trying to earn your love and acceptance from God. And today you've realized you could never earn it. You could never work hard enough to get it. Instead, he gives it to you freely and runs to you. And so today I just wanted to offer uh, anybody that would, that would want to, to put their trust in Jesus, to enter into relationship with their heavenly father by his grace through faith, to come on home and to be called son and daughter of the living God. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drag it out. I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna ask you right now, if that's you today and you would like to make that decision, you'd like to put your trust in Jesus today as your, as your savior, the one who has run to you, would you just raise your hand just right where you're at? If that's you, anybody. Yeah, go ahead, put your hand up. That's it. That is amazing. Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm praying for that man love you. If you had your hand up, would you be so bold? Just stand up so other people can see it. Can, can you just stand up where you're at? Could you just stand? Would you be so bold? It's amazing. You had your hand up. Thank you, Jesus. 
Listen, for those of you that just stood, for those of you that are standing, you need to know that what Jesus taught in that Luke chapter 15 is that all of heaven rejoices at that decision at your homecoming. And so we just want you to know that here at Gwinnett Church, we love you. We're so excited for the decision that you made. We're proud of you. And we are celebrating with heaven over your homecoming. Now, what I'd love to do, you guys, is we're gonna, we're gonna worship in response to this. And I'd love uh, to just pray a prayer and invite you to go ahead and stand. If you'd stand, everyone, all of us, we're gonna worship, but I'd love to pray for us. If you stood and made that decision today, uh, I'd invite you just to pray this prayer where you're at. Everyone else is welcome to join in. Just pray, Father, thank you that when I was a long way off, you saw me. Thank you that you had compassion on me. Thank you that you've run to me and that in Jesus, you took my shame and paid for my sin. Thank you that you welcomed me home. Help me to live as a son or a daughter, not a servant or a slave pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.